This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by National ACO. National ACO is one of now 58 ACOs admitted as next-generation models in 2018, including the addition of 17 new participants. National ACO is a best-in-class performer experiencing strong growth, was nation-leading in its first performance year, and has logged five years of sequential profitable operations. National ACO is a physician-owned Operated and governed ACO, leading innovation in value-based healthcare, alternative payment models, and population health management. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, producer and moderator of the broadcast, known to some on Twitter as at Two Health Guru and the publisher of ACOWatch.com. I'm joined in the virtual studio by National ACO Chief Executive Officer Dr. Andre Berger and President and Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alex Foxman. And now for today's special guest, Jerry Penso, MD, MBA. Dr. Penso is President and Chief Executive Officer at AMGA, the American Medical Group Association, a trade association that represents medical groups and other organized systems of care, including some of the nation's largest and most influential integrated healthcare delivery systems. Dr. Penso, previously served as Chief Medical and Quality Officer for AMGA and President of AMGA Foundation. In this role, Dr. Penso led best practices learning collaboratives for member groups, research and benchmarking programs, and AMGA's national campaigns addressing hypertension and diabetes. Under his leadership, the impact of AMGA's quality programs grew to improve care for 26 million patients. Prior to joining AMGA, Dr. Penso served as Medical Director, Continuum of Care for Sharp Restealing Medical Group, the largest integrative healthcare delivery system in San Diego. During his tenure, Sharp Restealy was recognized as a top performer in California's Pay for Performance program for five consecutive years with outstanding results in clinical quality, patient experience, and the use of information technology. Sharpree Steely is a 2007 Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award recipient and 2010 Acclaim Award honoree. The Acclaim Award is AMGA's highest honor. AMGA's 450 medical group members, representing 175,000 physicians, provide health care for one in three Americans. Headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, AMGA is the national voice leading the transformation of healthcare in America and promoting awareness of its members' recognized excellence in the delivery of coordinated, high-quality, high-value care. And with that introduction, Drs. Berger and Foxman, over to you. Help us get to know Dr. Penso, his work at the AMGA, and his take on the current state of the accountable care industry. Okay, well, thank you so much, Greg. Jerry, it's such a pleasure to have you join us today. Um, You're definitely somebody that we certainly look to as far as expertise. You certainly um, really have, uh, I think, a great grasp of uh, the landscape. You're especially important to us here at National ACO because our customers, as far as our physician partners, are primarily either independent practice associations or medical groups, and I know many of them are members of your organization. So I'm very excited to have you weigh in on some of these 
important ideas. Uh, I guess uh, the first thing would be uh, for us to kind of uh, learn a little bit about, you know, what got you on the path to this kind of career now that you're heading up this organization. What drew you uh, into this work, and, and why did you decide to do this? First of all, thank you so much for having me here today. I would say if there's a theme to my career, it has been the promotion of coordinated care. I've been in practice as a family doc for over 20 years in the San Diego area, part of an organized medical group. I became a medical director at that group in order to not just impact my patients that I saw on an everyday basis, but to use data, use care coordination and other methods to improve care and quality for tens of thousands of patients. And later I took that role at AMGA as their first chief medical and quality officer to, if you will, scale up those type of programs to improve quality, to improve patient experience, and to improve the coordination of care now for millions of patients. I want to just relate the story of my father. My father was on vacation and unfortunately had a stroke. And you can imagine you're away from your usual doctors, you're away from your usual care, you've got new doctors, a new setting, and that can be just quite overwhelming. And the problem there is that the new doctors had to be in connection with the older doctors, and again, his usual doctors, and, and trying to connect all of them, make sure they're communicating is quite challenging. I ended up flying across the country, and I played that connector to make sure that all the doctors were on the same page, and especially that was important at discharge. And I had to make sure that he had all the follow-up appointments, all the uh, correct information got to all the right people so he could get the best care. And I would say for many Americans, that type of fragmented, discoordinated care is what's common, and that they're, uh, if you will, left to play that coordination role on their own. And I've just been dedicated my whole life, both as a family doctor, as a medical director, and now as CEO of AMJ, to promote coordinated care where all the doctors, all the systems work together to give the patient the best care. Yeah, and Jerry, I, I think that um, many of us have, have felt this frustration, even in our own personal lives, of how the uh, healthcare system is fragmented. And, and we're all extremely uh, excited of this uh, very, hopefully, uh, rapid shift from volume-based care to value-based care, where we all work together hand-in-hand -hand with the patient uh, in the center of, of the healthcare system. And, and with that, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, AMGA, uh, its mission, growth to date, including near-term priorities and some of the future focus as we move forward. AMJ was uh, founded about 68 years ago, and it was really founded for physicians who practiced in groups and wanted to work together to improve coordination through the quality of the care that they delivered. As a trade association, we help these groups communicate through networking, sharing best practices, benchmarking, um, and strategy. Um, we have our mission today, which is the empowerment of coordinated, patient-centered, high-quality, value-driven care. And our members, uh, as was mentioned in the introduction, are some of the most prestigious medical groups and health systems across the country. Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Geisinger, Intermountain, Healthcare Partners, and Sutter Health, Kaiser Permanente. These are the groups that are organized, have great systems, both information technology and people, um, 
and they uh, work together to actually make each other stronger and to provide better care. My goals as CEO, I've been CEO now five months, is really to make sure that AMG remains strong and that our members are engaged in all the activities that they can work on to make healthcare better, that we have a more powerful voice, that's through our advocacy and our media relations, and finally, that we are relevant, that our groups turn to us for answers for their pressing problems. Jerry, thanks for that. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, after sharing that very touching story about your dad and explaining to us how you, know, you realized um, one of the problems, main problems in the delivery system was care coordination or lack thereof, you alluded to, in, in, in what you said, you alluded to that. You also alluded to the experience of care and the satisfaction of care. There's a cu- couple of other things I wanted to, you to uh, talk about in terms of, you know, what's going on today in terms of the value-based care model, and that was um, the cost of care or reduction in, in unnecessary cost, and also the the concept or idea of population health as it relates to the overall uh, aim that we're going for. Um, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those two additional components. Yes, population health is, if you will, sort of an important building block in getting towards accountability. And accountability means really accountability for what you describe. One, the patient experience. That means that the patient um, feels that you know, as a, almost as a customer, that their care was the type of service that they wanted and expected and needed. Of course, there's quality of care, and there are all sorts of measures about the quality of both the individual, but as a population level. Are your patients with diabetes getting all the evidence-based care that's necessary? Are your patients with heart failure or COPD? And then, of course, there's the cost of care. And I'm a firm believer that if the care is coordinated, if you have high quality, and if you're devoting your resources well, then the cost of care will be appropriate. That means that the patients won't have complications, they won't end up in the emergency room with unnecessary visits, and they won't end up in the hospital uh, for prolonged stays. We're really moving from being reactive care, that means what I call rescue care, where the care is um, uh, taking care of people after they have the problem, to really proactive care. That means looking at the whole population, looking at their risk factors, looking at their social determinants, and really beginning to address those so that they don't end up in the hospital or with costly complications. Our groups have really, our members were among the first adopters of the type of information technology and people solutions that are necessary. So on the IT, you need things like everyone to be on the same electronic health records. You need things like patient registries, patient portals and analytics and predictive models. And on the people side, you need strong departments and they usually hold people, everything from nurses to behavioral specialists to uh, pharmacists to um, social workers who all work on care coordination, especially for those high-risk, high-cost patients. Anyway, our groups are very much advanced in in those areas, both in the IT and the people department, to really create a system that can achieve that value. And that value, again, is the patient experience, the quality of care that they get, and all doing that at an efficient, lower cost of care. 
we're, we're all applauding the, the, the rapid change from fee-for-service or, or volume-based care to value-based care. And, and at National ACO, we sometimes internally joke that uh, the acceleration, though we want it to go even sooner, is really measured not in human years but dog years because this is how rapidly we're moving forward. And, and though this uh, process had really was really spearheaded by Medicare and Medicaid, we now see a lot of commercial markets coming in as well. And what's interesting is that this is still accelerating even within a semi, somewhat ambiguous, if not conflicting, healthcare policy environment. Where do you see our, our healthcare policy going in 2018 and beyond, both nationally, and, and how is your membership and AMGA um, uh, uh, formulating a plan to, to move with this change? Yeah, that's a great question. And what I'll tell you is there is some uncertainty in the, uh, in the politics and in the policy coming out of the administration. We saw pretty clearly from the previous administration that there was a push and some may say even too rapid of a push to move medical groups' physicians towards uh, value. They may have overestimated how quickly the changes could occur, both, of course, culturally, but also needing the IT systems and the other investments and care coordination to make that happen. So what we're seeing is we believe strongly that the move to value is inevitable, that the move to value will continue, and that... We are very uh, pleased to hear that Secretary Azar, the new HHS Secretary, has said that moving to value is one of his four cornerstones, one of his four pillars. So we uh, salute uh, the administration in moving forward in, um, in that pursuit. We also think that uh, there will be adjustments along the road um, and that there will be uh, what we hope some regulatory relief so that those physicians and physician groups that move towards value will have more and more regulatory relief. You know, a lot of the regulations that apply to physicians in the traditional Medicare program were written for the fee-for-service, and they really don't apply when you're in the value-based programs, some of the advanced APMs or some of the uh, Medicare Advantage. So we strongly believe in those regulatory relief efforts that could reduce um, regulatory burden, make care more efficient, and, and to be honest, make care better for those patients that are in those programs. Jerry, one of the things, uh, and as a segue to that, is that um, most of the innovation that we're all talking about today, it's not, it didn't start today. As you know, it started back in the 80s with the first cap, full-risk capitated contracts with the kind of the birth, the beginning, the birth of the burgeoning managed care industry. Uh, certainly on, in California, the advent of capitation, you know, we all, we all lived that life back then. Bundled pricing now is uh, kind of on the radar um, with the various carriers, tiered benefits. Now there's a, a new kind of pretty strong movement for direct uh, employee, employer contracting. Um, we have all these various types of network arrangements. Um, now, when you said that the, uh, just said, and I thought this is a very excellent point, that the state of physician readiness and receptivity to these um, may not be exactly, uh, you know, up to what was hoped for. Um, the question is, uh, you have groups such as uh, are those that are, you, you know, your, your, your constituents, these are the, um, 
the AMGA medical group members who are, I would say, you know, advanced, sophisticated, um, have invested in the infrastructure that we've talked about. And then you have the community-based physicians. These are smaller onesies, twosies, smaller groups, don't have the kind of same level of sophistication. They don't have the uh, capital. They don't have the infrastructure. Um, and yet, um, we're looking at you know 38% of American healthcare uh, being delivered by independent physicians in the community. What do you think? How do you think this will kind of change for those? What do you think it will take to make that happen? And what do you see the role of um, organizations such as ours, the ACOs that are out there trying to? At least uh, the independently physician-led organizations are trying to get independent physicians to survive and thrive in this very difficult, you know, changing environment. Where do you see uh, this as um, going, and how, if you would be the one to give the recommendations on how this would gel out, what would you recommend? And that's an excellent question. I think we'll we'll end up. Let's talk about where where I think or hope we're going to end up, we'll end up with a pluralistic delivery system. Not everyone will have the right setting for, let's say, an integrated, coordinated uh, system with a hospital, maybe in a physician group aligned. There will be all sorts of different types of organizations. I think the most important thing is that you are part of some sort of network. Now for independent groups, and we do have many independent groups that are part of AMGA, they will find uh, their, their niche within the healthcare ecosystem, and they will probably find that they'll form virtual alliances, either with other uh, independent physicians or with other uh, larger networks, such as ACOs, et cetera, that are perhaps uh, connected through information technology and care coordination with uh, some sort of uh, organized system. So I think they'll remain independent, but they'll have some of the advantages of, if you will, a coordinated care system. I think the other point that's important is that people will be all along that risk continuum. There will be people at one end that are maybe upside only on a pay-for-performance type of contract. There will be people at two-sided risk and then there will be people at full risk capitation. And I think we're gonna have a pluralistic environment both on the payment side and on the delivery side for, uh, for years to come. So, so with that, you know, we clearly understand and, and, and know AMGA is a premier national association and has been around and has a lot of uh, uh, key understanding of, of the healthcare system and the environment. Can you help us and, and our listeners understand how AMGA looks at uh, different types of models, such as the Medicare Advantage model versus the ACO, MSSP versus NextGen model, and which ones are, is, uh, is your organization advocating and why? That's a, a, another good question. I'm going to stick with the theme that we're going to have a pluralistic society. Our groups, our medical groups and our health systems are at different levels of readiness for, especially in the, uh, let's just talk about in the Medicare space, and then we can talk about commercial as well. But in the Medicare space, there are some that are at the fee-for-service stage and maybe moving towards a pay-for-performance, an upside only like an MSSP uh, type of an arrangement. There are some on the two-sided risk and some, again, that are 
moving rapidly towards Medicare Advantage. One data point I'd like to give you is that we do a risk survey every year. And this year, 60% of our members who responded said that they are ready within the next two years for two-sided risk. So I think the trend is definitely towards more risk, including downside. Many of our groups that we talk to tell us that they believe that the end game is Medicare Advantage. So our position as a trade association is we want to support all of our, all of our groups, no matter where they are on the risk continuum, with the ultimate goal of moving more towards value, more towards accountability for cost and quality. Thanks. Now, can you take us into the mindset of your members when they're evaluating their strategic options as you've described them? Um, you know, of course, first the decision tree to become an AMGA member, and then the, the, the strategic key issues specific to any of those, you know, kind of, uh, platforms, uh, the types of Medicare, for example, delivery models, um, and, and where, are your mo where are your members learning and, and why? Yeah. Well, we hope that they're learning from us and from their fellow AMG members and that they are uh, learning from the examples uh, that our members have set. Our members were among uh, the groups that, if you remember back in the uh, 90s, there was a uh, if you will, the precursor of uh, ACOs, which was the PGP, the Physician Group Demonstration Project. That was actually 10 groups, nine of which were AMJ groups. They felt they wanted to step up to the plate and see if they can work with CMS in a pilot program that uh, was accountable for the cost and quality of a program. A lot of lessons learned in that program, and then uh, out of that came uh, the ACO legislation that was part of the ACA. And we believe many of our groups, and many of our groups, I believe about two-thirds of the pioneer ACOs were AMG members. And they, uh, through that program, learned many things, everything from how Medicare patients may be different from Medicare Advantage patients and how to work with a uh, uh, CMS on data uh, and quality um, and how to, um, uh, how to target the right patients for uh, interventions. So as far as our groups learning, we, pr we provide a lot of uh, different opportunities for them. We have a MIPS collaborative right now where we're working with 20 of our groups who are, let's say, at that stage where they feel that MIPS was the best option for them. On the other spectrum, we have a whole series of webinars that we're doing on Medicare Advantage for those groups that are uh, further along in the let's say, capitation type of world. And we have all sorts of benchmarking tools that we provide for them on operational efficiency on compensation so that whatever model they're in, they can uh, be as uh, operationally efficient as possible. One of the things I'm excited is that we now have some case studies that we have on, that we just published in the last week at uh, amga.org forward slash risk. And there are 10 groups throughout the country who are giving case descriptions about their move to risk and some of the lessons learned. Um, and finally, we have a conference uh, in November that we are dedicating to risk. It's going to be dedicated to Medicare Advantage and risk. It's called our Institute for Quality Leadership. Uh, it'll be November 13th through 15th in San Antonio. So lots of opportunities for groups to, look, to learn from others and make good decisions as far as moving to risk. I would say they learn from each other. They learn from uh, other examples that are happening in their local markets. 
um, and working uh, sometimes with external uh, consultants. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you that our entire healthcare environment and system is moving towards some type of risk and, and really uh, historically and, and, and now as well, we see that this is likely uh, where we could make the, the best um, uh, impact on uh, meeting what we call the triple aim, better level of care for the patient, better quality of care and lower costs. Now, healthcare hates uncertainty. And unfortunately, we still continue to be in an uncertain environment. And uh, over the last year or so, the GOP efforts to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act have um, taken a toll, I think, on our healthcare environment. Where do you see this going in the next uh, near term? Uh, and, and how do you think this will ultimately end up uh, affecting our healthcare system? Yeah, we've seen from uh, the beginning of the, uh, the GOP um, uh, House and Senate, as well as control of the White House, that they are definitely um, came in on the promise to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And we know uh, that that was uh, unsuccessful, except now they're, they did remove the penalty for the individual mandate. The administration, I think, has been pretty clear that it is not supportive of the law. And they've had a few examples where they've cut the budget for um, uh, promoting open enrollment. They cut the open enrollment period uh, uh, in half. And they've even now uh, proposed some um, short-term plans that get around uh, some of the, um, uh, some of the uh, mandates and essential benefits that were required in the, uh, if you will, the uh, Affordable Care Act plans. So I think there is definitely going to be more movement to, uh, if you will, uh, try to repeal and replace it both on a regulatory side and perhaps even legislatively in the future. The move to value is going to be consistent. Our groups are, um, have made those strategic investments that I talked about, both in IT and in people type of skills. So they are committed to value. And what they want to do is work with both the, the commercial players and the, um, and the Medicare uh, sectors in order to uh, find a, a pathway that helps them in that transition. They have to stay in business. They have to keep their, uh, their uh, physicians employed and their staff paid and keep the doors open. So in a, in a setting where margins are declining, where um, expenses are going up, uh, this is their challenge, how to, how to figure out strategically that road to value while uh, maintaining um, adequate margins for their, uh, for their operations. I think I am hearing some uh, closing music here, which is unfortunate because we could just keep going and going and going, this great conversation. Uh, so I just want to thank you so much, Jerry, for um, your smart thoughts and your, your great um, ideas and, and your contribution. We were so happy to have you on the show. I think it was such a good conversation that really should not be ending. We'll invite you back, hopefully, for another you know, episode so we can continue the conversation. I hope you'll accept. And I look forward to that and continuing the conversation on moving to value. Thank you. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jerry Penso, President and CEO of the American Medical Group Association, for his time and generous insights today. Stay current with Dr. Penso and AMGA's work on Twitter via at jpenso, the number one, and at the AMGA, as well as on the web via www.amga.org.
And for bookmarking purposes, check out the AMGA 2018 Institute for Quality Leadership, Medicare Advantage and Risk, delivering on the promise of value to be held November 13th through the 15th in San Antonio, Texas. Finally, do follow National ACO on the web via www.nacomso.com and on Twitter via at NACOMSO. And until we meet again on This Week in Accountable Care, for Drs. Berger and Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Master, saying bye now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.